So Luke 8, starting at verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who, who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't, don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't, don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, My child, get up. And her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. And then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished. But he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. This is the word of the Lord. So we pick up right where we left off last week. Jesus is returning from that short trip into Gentile territory where he faced down legion and cast legion into a bunch of pigs and the villagers kind of ran him out of town. And here we see him coming back, returning. And, and a crowd has gathered, knowing that he's coming back, knowing where he'll arrive, and they're waiting for him. Because by now, Jesus' reputation as a healer, as a miracle worker, is just expanding exponentially. Whispers go through the crowd like wildfire, from village to village, family to family. He healed that guy over there who was running raving mad naked in the cemetery. He healed that guy. Did, did you hear that he, he also spit into some mud? And he gave someone his sight back? He spit into mud and cured blindness. 
Did you hear? And then the, 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 the gossip and the stories just go all over. And Jesus gets a reputation of being someone who can fix what's wrong with you. Just ask. Jesus is the healer, the miracle worker. He'll get the job done. And waiting anxiously in that crowd is a man who has heard the same stories as everyone else. He was a leader in the local synagogue, which means he also heard stories from his fellow leaders that this man was a heretic. He started blasphemy. He should be run out of town. But this man, Jairus, was above all things a father. And he was a father to a daughter who was dying. So whatever his colleagues said, whatever the crowd said, he was holding on to the hope that this man, this healer, this teacher, could save, could save his little girl. And so this synagogue ruler, this, this religious leader in the community, falls down at the feet of many who call him a heretic and says, please come. Please come to my house. Please come and save my daughter. She is dying. Please come. Please come. Heretic prophet didn't matter. He could heal. He could save. Jairus did what he had to do as a dad. And Jesus picks him up, lifts him up from his feet, and follows him to his house. And this is a, this is a powerful story because this in itself is a, enough of a story to have a sermon on. This story is enough for Luke to tell just this story, this story of saving this little girl. Because this is where the story is going, the direction of the story. Jesus, Jairus, the healer, the teacher, the father, they are going to go and save this little girl. That is the purpose, the direction of the story. Until they're interrupted by another person who is waiting anxiously in the crowd for Jesus. Another person who came knowing the stories, knowing his reputation as a healer, as a miracle worker, knowing that he might be able to fix her problem. We come to the woman in the crowd. And this woman, she doesn't receive a name. We're not told who she is. We're only told what's wrong with her. She's identified only by her physical ailment. She has been bleeding for 12 years. To Luke's first readers, that's all that they had to know. Because as soon as they heard that this woman has been bleeding for 12 years, they're, they're not thinking about that this woman's been suffering for over a decade. They're not hearing that this, this woman has been bleeding for 12 years. They hear this is a woman who is unclean. According to the Levitical Code, to the Hebrew purity laws, a woman is unclean, not fit for worship or community life as long as she is bleeding. What is demurely referenced as a woman's time of the month kept women apart, kept them separate. Whatever a bleeding woman touched or sat on became unclean. It was just like a contagion. Anything you touched 
no rabbi, no man, no other person in their community would want to touch what that woman just touched. That would make me unclean. This woman had been bleeding for 12 years, which meant she was unclean for 12 years. For 12 years, she could not go to the temple to worship. She could not join her community in festivals and gatherings and potlucks and meals. For 12 years, she could not touch anyone, and no one in their right mind, unless they wanted to go through the, the purity ritual, would touch her. For 12 years, this woman was isolated. For 12 years, she suffered alone when she needed her community the most. This woman, this unclean woman, pushed herself through a crowd with desperation and determination. In Mark's version of the story, we actually hear her inner monologue as she is rushing towards Jesus, pushing through the crowd, trying to get to him. Mark tells us that, that the woman was thinking, just, just the corner of his robe. Just the corner of his robe. If I touch just the corner of his robe, I will be healed. It has to be enough. It will be enough. And she did. She pushed through the crowd. She touched just the hem. And immediately she knew she was healed. The blood stopped. She had hope. But then he noticed, and she thought she could go unnoticed, that she could slip away, return to temple, return to her family, return to a full life. But she touched a rabbi, an unclean woman touched a rabbi, and he noticed. And now is gonna come the judgment now is going to come the questions. Jesus looks around and says, who, who touched my clothes? She hears an accusation. I love that we get to hear what Peter says, because Peter being Peter brings a lightness to the story. Uh, Jesus, you're asking who touched you? We're in a crowd of tons of people. Who's not touching you? I love Peter. He can just pop a little serious bubble completely. Everyone's touching you, Jesus. Why are you asking this question? But I love that, that Jesus clarifies. He says, who, who touched me because I felt power go out from me? Which is a whole other sermon on the idea that, that healing, that miracles took something out of Jesus. That he wasn't a superman who could just kind of go flash, 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 and everyone's healed. That it took something from him. So that every raising, every healing, every miracle drained him in some way. But that's a whole different sermon. We're going to go back to this one. Who touched my clothes? She's found out. She falls at his feet begging for mercy, telling her story, spilling the details and the pain, unable to stop, and she just lays it all out before him, waiting, waiting to be pushed away, waiting to see that look of disgust that comes on others' faces when they find out what is wrong with her. 
but that doesn't come. Jesus touches her and lifts her up. And what does he call her? Her identity has been as an unclean woman. And what does Jesus call her? The first word out of his mouth is daughter. Daughter, your faith, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Daughter. The teacher, the rabbi, called her daughter. For a woman left alone and excluded from community and family life for so long, that one word brought her back into a sense of belonging into the community of the living, back from isolation and loneliness. She belonged, she was named, she was touched. Daughter, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. As she is receiving back her life, she is healed, her identity as an unclean woman has been replaced with, with the name of daughter. As she is receiving back her life, a messenger comes rushing to Jairus, letting him know that his daughter has died. A messenger rushes up to him. Jairus, she's gone. Don't, don't trouble the teacher anymore. There's nothing more that he can do. And Jairus, this father who was on a mission to save his little girl, realizes that the hope that he had just a moment ago, the hope that he had before this conversation, before this woman delayed him, is gone. And he didn't get to say goodbye. He wasn't there by his little girl. He had failed her. Your daughter's gone, Jairus. Don't leave the teacher alone. There's nothing more he can do. Against that message of death and finality, Jesus turns to Jairus and gives him a word of life. Don't, don't be afraid. Just believe and she will be healed. And so they continue on. A little less of a purpose and a mission and a sense of hope, but they continue on and they reach his home and they throw open the front door and they find the house full of people already. People crying and grieving and casseroles are stacking up in the kitchen and coffee is being brewed and there's that, that hush that falls over a house when a death has taken place. People try not to be too loud, and they speak in hushed whispers. And that's what they enter. And Jesus enters this house, and he doesn't offer comfort or condolences. He pushes into this house, grabs Peter, John, and James, grabs the child's father and mother, pushes everyone else out, says, stop crying! Stop it! She's not dead, she's asleep. 
And they laugh at him because they've seen the body. They know. But they go out and, and Jesus goes into the child's bedroom with, with her parents, with his disciples. And he walks up to her bed, takes her hand, and says, it's time to get up, sweetheart. The Greek there, there's a softness to it. It's not just, child, get up. There's a softness to it. Sweetheart, sweetheart, it's time to get up. As if she was only napping. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. And her eyes flicker open. She raises herself up on her elbows. And Jairus' little girl is alive and whole and healed and hungry. I love that detail that Luke includes, and Mark does too, that upon seeing their, their daughter raised from the dead, Jesus turns to them and gives them the role of parents again. Your daughter's hungry, go get her something to eat. I saw casseroles in the kitchen. That should do nicely. And he gives them their parenthood back. They get to be a father and a mother to their little girl and go get her food and feed her. In this extraordinary moment, he gives them the ordinary back. These are two powerful stories. Two incredible stories. They're, they're stories of two lives, a, a young girl and an older woman that should not have intersected. Lives that should never have touched. One whose life was slowly draining away year by year, and, and the other whose young life was almost cut short on the verge of death. Did you notice the detail that Luke lets us know that Jairus' daughter was 12? For as long as she was alive, for as long as this little girl was growing up and growing strong and growing bigger, the other woman was growing weaker, was bleeding out, was having her life diminished year by year by year. Both were dying. Very different ways, but both were dying. Both needed life. Both received what they needed. How do we hear these stories? These miracles. How, how do we hear them? These two women needed life. And Jesus, in their midst, they received it. Restored to them. Miracles of healed illness, of reversal of death. But there's a difficulty with these stories, too. Because some of us can identify more with the crowd left outside rather than with the family of Jairus or the healed woman. Some of us are waiting to hear from doctors, from hospitals, from prayer, for healing, for hope, for reversal of death with diminishing hope. These stories of healing, they can also be used against us. Because some teach and would have you believe 
that it's the size of your faith that determines whether or not you receive healing. There are some who would preach that Jesus' words to the woman, your faith has healed you, they're words that put the pressure on the sick to make themselves well. If you only had a bit more faith, if you'd only pray more, if you'd only really believe, then you'd be healed. This connection between faith and healing taught in that way can leave the sick and the suffering with an even harder burden to bear and an extra dose of guilt just on top of it all. Miracle stories heard through this interpretive lens leave us shut out with the crowd, with the ones of little faith, with those who need restored life, who need healing, but don't have enough faith to reach out and grab the hem of his robe. Friends, that's not the way things are. That is not the way the grace of God works. That is not the way of Jesus in our world or in our lives. Because that kind of interpretation, that kind of interpretation leaves Jesus as nothing more than this cosmic miracle worker who will only administer his services when the bill has been paid, when your faith has been deemed enough. And then he'll heal. Why does Luke include this story? Why are we told about all these beautiful, amazing miracle stories? Why does Luke include these two healing stories? I mean, is it so that we can teach subsequent generations of Christians that their healing is on their shoulders if they only have enough faith? Luke tells us these stories. The Gospels tell us these stories. Because they're telling us something bigger about Jesus about who he is and who we are. We've been traveling through the sermon series, through the Gospel of Luke. What we've seen with Legion, what we've seen with the sinful woman and Simon, what we've seen with the leper and the paralyzed man, all of these stories point beyond themselves, point to something bigger, to a bigger truth. To a bigger reality. Luke draws our attention into a story of a father trying to save his dying daughter, draws our attention into the story of a woman with a chronic illness separated from her community, and he draws us into these stories, and they're like stories we know. They're like our stories, they're like others that we love, friends, family, church members. These things still happen. Children still die. Men and women still struggle with chronic illness. But in the midst of all this, Luke shows us Jesus, drawing our attention to what he does. Into the story, Jesus brings life. 
brings life to a suffering woman, brings literal life to a little girl. And these miracles point us to him. Not as a for-hired cosmic miracle worker or a divine genie that we just has to ask, we just has to, we have to ask enough times and then we get our wishes. But as the one who brings life wherever he goes. They point us to him as the Messiah, the bringer of the kingdom of God. As we focus on these miracle stories, these healing stories throughout the sermon series, we cannot lose sight of where Luke's gospel is going. On the intimate and the personal level, these physical healings, Jesus brings life. Amazingly, miraculously. To a few. To just a few. But every single miracle and parable and action in the gospel is pointing to one thing and one thing only. The cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The saving action of our God that brings life not just to a few who happen to be able to fall at his feet when he's on the way to somewhere else, but to all who believe. The bleeding woman would still die someday. The little girl raised to life at the age of 12 would still die again someday. And if all Jesus had to offer them was this momentary, miraculous intervention, well then, what's the reason for hope? What's the reason for faith? The power of these miracles, the truth that they convey, is that the cross and the resurrection make it possible for Jesus to say to all who believe, my daughter, my son, be whole, be healed, your sins are forgiven. And the power of life over death through his cross and resurrection make it possible for us to say about all who pass away in faith, they are not dead, they're just asleep. And it is the full intent of these miracle stories not to burden us with the power to save ourselves if we can just muster up enough faith to do it, but to give us hope in the life-giving power of our Savior and King, to trust in Him. When we see only small glimpses of the kingdom, when we see small glimpses here and now of God's healing, of God's restoration, and when we witness the need for healing and we find it elusive, and we wait year after year, praying and hoping, we can hear Jesus say, just like he said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Believe, but don't be afraid. The foreshadowing of the story in the Gospel of Luke is not just looking forward to Christ's triumph over death on the cross, but it looks forward to our own as well. For our greatest hope is that in the end, we will hear Jesus say, just as he said to that little girl, sweetheart, 
Sweetheart, it's time to get up. Sweetheart, it's time to get up. These stories remind us, point us to, assure us of the power of our risen king, which is the power of life over death, of hope over fear, of healing and wholeness over brokenness and suffering. Don't, don't be afraid. Believe. Trust. In who he is. In who he has said he is. In who Jesus is for us. For all who believe. Not just for a few. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Will you pray with me? <laughs> Almighty God, giver and restorer of life, we come before you thankful for our risen King, Jesus Christ, your Son. For the one who has conquered all things in your name for us. We come before you with our own brokenness, our own need for healing. All the things that we would fall down at your feet asking you to fix for us. We bring all of that and lay them at your feet, knowing and trusting that you are our faithful God, that you hold us, that you love us, that you call us daughters and sons, and that you have compassion on us. Give us patience as we wait, as we pray. And help us to trust you. the one who holds us, the one who loves us, the one who has saved us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat>